All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Ethan. This is Jessica. And this is Crystal. And this is What's in a Name? What's in a Name? (laughs) I tried to match Crystal this I tried to match Crystal this week. I know I have to give it like a three second delay before I start. (laughs) No, I'm I'm hooked up to a different Wi-Fi, so it shouldn't be delayed. (laughs) You have you have different you have several different Wi-Fi's? Is one of them your neighbors? No. What this is what happens when you live in the middle of the woods. You have to have a bunch of different stuff to have a normal life. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Sounds more suspicious. on that. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, everybody, welcome back officially for our third season of What's in a Name. Very excited to be here. Very excited to be back. Um, I don't know much about podcasting, but I'm pretty sure that after three seasons, we automatically start making millions of dollars per episode. Um, I'm pretty sure that's a law, so I'm very excited for that. Um, And much like our friendship, I'm shocked that our podcast has lasted this long. (laughs) (laughs) How long did it take you to come up with that pun? I mean, it was right on the spot. It was was just, I was speaking from the heart, Jessica. (laughs) Real question, how long did you think the podcast would last? (laughs) You know, I, with the way that y'all treat your schedules, I was like, if we can get 10 episodes in, I'm going to call that a W. (laughs) Code for with how popular you guys are, I'm surprised that you gave me <laughs> even more than 10 weeks of your time. Yeah, yeah, read it like that. Not like you guys are very um, unorganized. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica over here using weeks of PTO that we don't even have on our podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it, it is what it is. I was off the last episode, so Crystal's got to go on a vacation next. We'll get another <sighs> guest host some at some point. Um. All right. Okay. So you guys ready for this week's intro question? It is, what is something that like you're afraid of or that you have maybe like an aversion to that other people would maybe find a little strange? So I'll go first to kind of give you an example of what I mean. Um, I hate the feeling of rubbing cotton balls between my fingers. Um, Just like the very thought of doing that makes my skin crawl. I hate it. I hate that feeling so much. Oh, interesting. They are made of like a weird material that, yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah, like specifically cotton balls. I don't know. I just, something about it, like ugh, the idea of rubbing them between my fingers, ugh, grosses me out. <laughs> uh, mine's kind of similar, but I absolutely like refuse and hate touching paper after getting my hands wet. I just, I cannot do it. I have to put lotion on or something. So if I like wash my hands and I have to put lotion on before I can touch like any type of paper or something like that. It's very weird. Like if your hands are still wet or just like even just no, after you even wash if, them? Even after I dry them and they're completely dry, I still can't touch paper until <sighs> like either I have to wait like six hours or I have to put on lotion. Six hours? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, when that feeling, exact number. When the feeling finally goes away. Um, so is it the feeling of the paper or the feeling of your hands? I've never sure. heard that before. I'm not sure. I just know, like, I can't touch paper. But, like, my, I think my sisters and my mom is the same way. Because, like, anytime, like, we're together and, one, and, like, we go to the bathroom, then we're always like, Mom, where's the lotion? And she uh, gives us the lotion to use. So It puts the lotion on its skin. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Jessica, who traumatized you? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just a weird sensory thing. Yeah. I've never heard that before. Okay. Crystal, your turn. So I was thinking frogs, but um, I think it'll be more of a phobia. So like, um, I would say when people go through the exit door, like they come in through the exit door, like 
Uh, I, I, I personally can't do it. Like, and I get so mad when people do do it. Um, I don't know what it is. It just grinds my gears. So it's more like a pet peeve. You're not like scared yeah. to go through the exit door though, right? Okay. Right. So I guess I'll go back to the froth thing because I don't have anything weird like you guys. <laughs> no, no. I was just uh, asking a clarifying <laughs> question. I just wasn't sure if you were like afraid of it or if it was just like annoying to you. But I mean, you do you. Yeah, no, it's just annoying. So I'll go back to the frog. Um, I'm very, very, very much afraid of frogs. <laughs> Interesting. What What does that stem from? Let me ask. Is it like the way they look, the way they feel? Are you afraid they're going to jump into your mouth and crawl down your throat? Um, I've never touched one, but it stems from when I was younger, my sister used to like run and chase me with them and like throw them at me. <gasps> and now I just cannot, I cannot do frogs. Dang. So you over here with a phobia of frogs and to think there's probably some frogs out there that have a phobia of you because if I was an animal <laughs> getting chucked at a human being, I would also have an aversion to them. Yeah, no, 100%. There's probably some outside right now. It's raining. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, those are all great answers. I'm going to have to remember those so that I can use them against you guys in the future. Uh, okay, so for this week's episode, we are going to be talking about functional fixedness. Have either of you guys ever heard of Dunker's Candle Problem? No, but it sounds like it has the potential to be something Christmassy. So I'm excited to hear. <laughs> okay, okay. Crystal? Uh, I don't think I ever heard of that. So let's go. Um, well, I can tell you right now, Jessica, it has nothing to do with Christmas. Bummer. But that's all right. We're going to walk through it. So here is the situation. Um, and you'll have to kind of imagine what this is going to look like. So you walk into a room, you have two candles, numerous thumbtacks, and a box of matches. And using only these items, try to figure out how you can mount the candles to the wall. Um, so how would you accomplish that? What are your guys' thoughts? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, so no pressure. Yeah, good question. Um, okay, so my initial thought is, do I have to use the matches? And if not, then what I would probably do is like place the thumbtacks super tight around the edges of the candle to kind of like encase the candle in. So just along the bottom half and not push the thumbtacks in like all the way. Like it still has quite the ledge for the candle to sit on, if that makes sense. <laughs> oh, okay. So make like a, like a makeshift shelf out of the thumbtacks. Yes. Yes. Okay. Creative, creative, A plus for creativity. Crystal, how about you? So I would agree with Jessica. That seems like the only way. Um, I might add, I would use the matches to uh, melt the candle or burn it. So it's a little lighter because I um, imagine them being a little bit heavy. So other than that, I'd say what Jessica just said. Yeah, no, those are both really good answers. So in this scenario, usually what happens is a lot of people are tempted because this is like something like they would take people into an actual room with this setup and have them solve the problem it wasn't just like a thought experiment like we just did so usually when they would take people into this room to solve the problem what typically happened is that um people would use the thumbtacks to try to stick the candle on the wall so they try to push the thumbtacks through the candles but um most likely that's not going to work because the candle is too thick and the thumbtacks won't go all the way through the candle to also stick into the wall so that is the most common way that people try to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. um, the typical, like, quote unquote, creative solution is to use the matches and melt the bottom part of each candle. And then you can use that hot wax 
and stick the candles to the inside of the matchbox. And then once the candles are attached to the matchbox, they then use the thumbtacks to stick the box to the wall. So you're using this um, box of matches as like a makeshift kind of candle holder that has been tacked to the wall. So huh. it's kind of it's kind of weird to picture in your mind, um, but like it's pretty much the only way that this problem is able to get solved. If not like the only way that the problem is able to get solved in real life that these experimenters put together. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I would need to test out my theory first, but it sounds legit. I'm just too prideful to fully admit that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Ethan. Have you tried this? Um, no, I don't just have like Victorian era candles hanging around my apartment. <laughs> You can go to the dollar store and get any kind of candle. What do you use for your mantle decor then for Christmas? I don't decorate for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, it also, I think, depends on your definition of like mount a candle to the wall. Because like technically in that solution, you didn't mount a candle to the wall. You mounted the box to the wall and the candle was attached to the box. But that's more like semantics than it is actual like solution. Sure. Yeah. Um, but all of this to say that um, Dunker's candle problem is often used as an example to illustrate this concept of functional fi fixedness, which is defined as an inability to realize that something known to have a particular use may also be used to perform other functions. So in this problem, one way that this is illustrated is when someone fails to realize that the matchbox holding the matches can also be used as a wall mount for the candles. So can you guys think of any like other examples of functional fixedness that you've seen or experienced? Um, so I would have to say, the only thing that comes to mind is gender roles. Like um, women work from home, men go to work in the office, like um, just kind of that fixed role. And I will say that I'm guilty of this because just recently a coworker left for paternity leave and I was like, but your wife is going to take care of the baby. Why do you need to go home? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Crystal, you're part of the patriarchy. Dude, she was part of the people roasting Pete Budicic on Twitter when he took paternity leave. I had no idea. Dang, Crystal, toxic, toxic. But, you know, I've now learned. <laughs> no, thank you for, I mean, thank you for being honest. Thank you for opening up. I think that's, yeah, like a good, a good example of like social functional fixedness where we have a hard time thinking like, oh, you know, there's these different people can swap out and do different things and, and be co-parents together. How about you, Jessica? Um, yeah, I have no idea if the story is real or not, but I heard it all growing up, but it's the classic tale of nasa so um legend has it that during the space race against russia nasa realized that like regular ballpoint pens don't work in space <laughs> so they spent millions of dollars and so much time and research trying to develop a ballpoint pen and then after that like after they went through all that they just realized that like hey we can actually just use pencils <laughs> Um, and so I remember like that story was like, I don't know if you guys have heard that, but, uh, talking about like innovation stuff, but I, I feel like that could relate to functional fix fixedness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's got, that's got the kind of the same ideas there of like not seeing a solution that's in front of you, um, and kind of having to look at a problem differently. Um, I always think of this SNL character, uh, McGruber, which is a parody of the character MacGyver and admittedly i've literally never watched a single episode of anything with macgyver in it 
But I think the recurring like shtick there is that MacGyver is able to solve really complex problems in like very creative ways. And so I think like the iconic example is um, when he like disarmed a nuclear bomb using just paper clips or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so a great I, like a great example of someone who like doesn't suffer from functional fixedness. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, as you could probably guess from the name of the candor problem, the term functional fixedness was coined by the psychologist Carl uh, Dunker. So he was interested in exploring why we have difficult with this problem of um, solving issues in creative ways. So why do you guys think that functional fixedness is such an issue and so hard to overcome when it comes to solving our problems? Yeah, I would assume there's probably several reasons. Um, but one that stands out to me is that uh, we don't really live in a, or we live in a Google culture where if we don't know something, it doesn't really require a lot of thinking. All it requires is like thumbs and an internet browser. We can just Google it. Um, and so I think we lack in critical thinking. I, I mean, I guess I don't know this for sure, but I would be interested to see the statistics on um, how people's like critical thinking has been affected by the internet. Um, because obviously functional fixedness requires a high degree of critical thinking um, and thinking outside the box. And so I just don't think it's a huge part of our culture because of the convenience of the internet. Yeah. And kind of to that point as well, I was thinking like nowadays, um, if we have some kind of like issue or problem, I feel like someone has invented like a very specific thing to solve that problem. So we don't have to think as creatively because problems back in the day that maybe didn't have like a specific tool that were created for them. Yeah, um, you had to like come up with a clever solution. But nowadays, it's like, I have this one like super specific problem. And there's like a very super specific um, product out there that you can buy to solve yeah, it. Good point. Yeah. How about you, Crystal? Um, so I mean, I would echo like, we don't really want to exert ourselves. And people, again, why reinvent the will. So if you, there's something a process that works, then you just keep doing it. You don't have to think of a different way to do it. Um, I think of like, YouTube. So if you want to know how to change your tire, you click on, you, you type it in on YouTube, it pulls up um, the top rated video or the most watched video. You don't, you're not going to look at the other videos to find different ways or how someone else might have done it. You're just going to look at that top search video and take it a run because it's giving you what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think like, um, I remember uh, like a year ago, I was at an amusement park and it was pouring rain. So my shoes got absolutely soaked. Um, so I got back to the place we were staying at and I was like, man, I need to dry these out because I have to wear them tomorrow. Um, so I put them in the dryer and they just like kept tumbling and they were super, super loud. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be really noisy. I can't run this at night. And then my shoes are going to get all banged up. And so I Googled like how to dry shoes in a dryer. And what you do is you like undo the shoelaces, you tie the shoelaces of each shoe together, and then you tie a knot and then you... Um, put the knot on the outside of the dryer door and then you close the door so that the shoes are hanging basically on the inside of the dryer door. So then you get all of the heat and they get dried out, but none of the tumbling. And I remember thinking like, I, I probably could have eventually come to that solution if I had sat there long enough and was like, how can I solve this problem? But I didn't have to, I just had to Google it. Like to your guys's point, like, and someone else had solved the problem for me. So I didn't get a chance to develop any of that critical thinking on my own. It was more just like, oh, someone else solved it. I was able to find the answer, but not because of like anything on my part other than knowing how to use Google. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that the literature talks about um, in regard to functional fixedness um, is pretty much that like any problem we're facing um, 
it's going to have some kind of like aspect of functional fixedness that is getting in our way of solving the problem. Um, so you can pretty much like guarantee that any problem you're facing in your life, functional fixedness is affecting your ability to solve that problem to one degree or another. Um, so in your guys's opinion or thoughts, how do you think you could overcome this cognitive bias? So I would say break down the problem. Um, think of basically the end, the outcome that you want to happen, and then the different ways that you can get there. Because a lot of times, like, it's a one-two step, and then this is the end. Um, so if we think of, like, what the end solution is going to be, there's a different, a lot of different ways to get to that end versus, like, just kind of starting from the beginning and working your way to the end. Yeah, I like that. that kind of sense. starting with your solution and then being like, okay, what do I need in order to do that? What could fit into this these solution parts that I need? Yeah, what can be substituted if I don't have X, Y, Z? Yeah. Yeah. I think also just like not being afraid to speak up about ideas that may seem at first dumb. <laughs> um, and also just doing more creative things in general. I recently listened to a podcast about how people don't really play anymore. Um, playing is defined as like doing something without any intention, except for to just have fun. Right. Um, and so it's been, it's really hard to come across just like instances where like you're legitimately just playing with no other purpose or reason, like you just want to have fun and that it really has stifled society's creativity because everything we do has to be so focus driven where in reality, like creativity really stems from just playing and being free to um, do stuff without a purpose. And so I think um, that could be really helpful is just getting back to playing even as adults right? yeah. Um, yeah. and doing fun stuff just for the sake of doing something fun yeah I love that it makes me think of how like nowadays as an adult if you have a hobby everyone's like well how can you turn that into a side hustle like how can you yeah. make money out of that exactly and you're yeah. like chill like I don't need to make money off of this thing that I enjoy like I, I'm doing it just because I enjoy it not because I'm trying to like you <laughs> have a side hustle on the on the side of my real job <laughs> Yeah. Or like, I think that like I do fun stuff, but there's always, I'm like such a util utilitarian that there always has to be like a purpose behind it, you know, um, that I, I find it hard to actually play. And so, yeah, I think it's, could be really helpful. Yeah. You just need to get into video games, Jessica. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> yeah. Then she'll find a way to make money off of it. <laughs> Tournaments. <laughs> a Twitch streamer. <laughs> I also thought too, Jessica, when you said like not being able, not being afraid to, to speak up, um, about ideas that might seem dumb like oh if you ever like study the science of brainstorming one of the things they always say is like the mistake the cardinal mistake people make when they brainstorm is that they'll throw out one idea one idea and then they'll evaluate that idea and then see if it's good or bad and then move on from it and yeah. that like is not helpful it's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do in, in brainstorming you're supposed to throw like everything at the wall at the very beginning, no evaluation, no judgments. Um, and then after you're done throwing ideas out, then you start to evaluate them one at a time, because they often say like, if you evaluate an idea one at a time, like you're going to shut other people down, or you're going to um, lose, like opportunities to be spontaneously creative, like I could say something that is a horrible idea. But then it, it could make Jessica think of something or make Crystal think of something. And you kind of like work off of that. But if you're shooting things down immediately, you're not really having an opportunity to build that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think of that, like, so I've been writing this book for eons. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine who's a writer. And um, that's something that he said, he just said, just, just 
word vomit. Just write everything out. Doesn't have to make sense. Doesn't even have to be spelled right. Just think, write out everything that you're thinking and then go back through and like flush it out and add to it and then create your story that way. I have a problem with that. I'm like, <laughs> I got, I'll write a couple sentences and I'm like, okay, how, where am I going to go with this? That doesn't make sense. I don't like the storyline. Yeah. Which yeah, is why they, the book's still not done. <laughs> they say you can, you can always edit a bad page, but you can't edit a blank page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, this concept of functional fixedness has actually been studied a pretty decent amount in like scientific literature. So there are actually some well-documented ways to avoid or reduce functional fixedness. And you guys kind of hit on a couple of them. Um, the two main ways that when I was doing my research, I thought were kind of um, the most helpful was this idea of challenging assumptions and then what they call the quote unquote generics part technique, which is also known as sideways thinking. So I kind of wanted to talk through both of those. Like I mentioned, you guys kind of touched on them a little bit. Um, but the first one, which is challenging assumptions, is pretty self-explanatory uh, when it comes to solving our problems and um, the tools for the solution are in front of us. Basically, we should just always challenge our assumptions of what those tools are and how those tools can be used. Um, and so just this idea of like, what can our tools be used for and what do our problems look like? So for example, like the saying goes, you know, if you have, if all you have is a hammer, then every problem is going to look like a nail. And if we just learn to kind of take a step back and challenge any assumptions we have about the problem and then our potential solutions, it'll really um, broaden our thinking in regard to trying to find a solution. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think that that is applicable to a lot of different facets in life, but it sounds like it could be really helpful for this situation. Yeah. Um, and so the second method, it's a little less intuitive. So like I mentioned, it's called the generics part technique, but more like colloquially, it's, it's just called sideways thinking. So the main idea for this tool um, is to look at the tools that you have. And then the way that they word it, they say decouple the tools function from the tools form. So there was actually a web comic um, that illustrated this idea really well that I think kind of helps solidify what we're talking about. Um, and in fact, the comic illustrator is uh, a cognitive scientist who made this comic series specifically to help reduce functional fixedness in people. Um, so in it, there's this superhero named Captain Sideways. And essentially, he just helps people solve their problems by looking um, past an object's name to its possible uses. So in the very first issue of this uh, comic strip, Captain Sideways is on the Titanic when it, of course, hits the iceberg. And the ship's captains are panicking because there aren't enough lifeboats for everyone on the boat and it's going to sink before any of the help gets there um, and all of that. And so Captain Sideways goes up to the ship captains and tells them to describe what a lifeboat does without using its name. And that's the key part there is describing the tool without using its name. So then the ship uh, captains, they respond that it's uh, a wooden floating thing. So then Captain Sideways asks them uh, to name other things that are wooden or other things that float. And so then kind of after a few more back and forth like this, they realize that icebergs also float. And so in this alternate timeline, all of the passengers on the Titanic are transported to the iceberg to wait for help instead of, of course, drowning in the ocean. That's interesting. I really like that example. Yeah, I thought I gave a really good example of like what exactly generic parts technique is. So basically, you're just breaking it down into its functions instead of actually using its names. Yeah. 
Okay, and I like would have never thought about the whole iceberg thing. Yeah, now that you think about it, you're like, why didn't they do that? But I'm sure they're, you know, I'm sure it was unsuitable as well. So, <laughs> um, okay, awesome. So thanks guys for a great episode. I'm very happy to be back. Um, even though you guys talked mad smack about me with Aaron <laughs> while I was gone in that last episode. Um, but I just want your guys's one sentence takeaways from today. So I'm going to do a mental task. It's my takeaway. It's a little homework assignment and where I evaluate my daily task and try to find a different way of doing a task. Um, so I'll let you guys know how that goes next week. Yeah, it's going to be homework. <laughs> cool. Uh, my one sentence takeaway is that if Jack couldn't have fit on the um, the wooden board, then he definitely could have fit on the iceberg. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> uh, but also just that I wanted to be able to do more creative things uh, to help inspire more capability to, I, I guess, think creatively. Yeah, essentially just like thinking outside the box, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, when problem solving, I think I'm going to start describing my solution by what is needed and then use like that idea of sideways thinking to see how any of my resources could potentially um, fill that need, even if they aren't that specific thing that I'm looking for. Mm. Um, all right. Okay. Crystal, you are going to be leading next week's chat. So what are we going to be talking about? Yeah. So we'll be discussing how much do you feel you're really worth or rather the reservation wage. Okay. I'm excited for it. I took um, an economics class, and that's where I first learned the word uh, reservation wage. I almost failed the class, so I might not be the greatest uh, co-host next week. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting enough, I took three econ classes, and I've never heard this term. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the quality of our education, so it's a good thing that some of those loans are getting forgiven, because obviously, it was not worth what we paid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see everybody here next week. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>